My name is Gabe, and I am the new uh, Connections and Discipleship Minister. As I've accepted this position and moved into this role, I want to give you a little bit more background about sort of who I am. And I'm going to do this uh, through a, a story. And I, I want to reveal a little bit uh, about myself in this. And uh, this is, uh, it should give you sort of like a personality traits that, that I have. So looking back, kind of like in my younger days, I can say, uh, I was a little bit of what we call a prankster. I would do, like, I was a little bit of, uh, like, I like to make people laugh. And growing up, I've always liked to make people laugh. And so I would do things, uh, like, I was a kid who would, like, blow chocolate milk out their nose just to make people laugh. I would do different things uh, like that. And this continued into, into college. And so I remember it, it was around my junior year of college where uh, I got comfortable with, with some friends and we started uh, pulling pranks on people. And these were simple uh, to start. I mean, we would steal like a, a doormat or something and hide it. We would uh, flip people's decorations, turn everything inside out, do different things like that. Uh, they started to escalate a little bit once one of my friends, uh, he, he joined the maintenance team, and so he had keys to everything. So this, this helped us a lot. He also had tools that he like, knew how to use, so we could steal people's doors and stuff like that, and uh, we could escalate more and more. Well, this continued, and I remember this specific instance because it was Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, and so we had kind of gotten back from, from church, we had eaten, uh, everybody was like, kind of like getting, settling down for a nap, and I remember being in my room with, with my roommate and a couple friends, and we're just hanging out, uh, talking, watching TV, the whole thing, uh, and we hear this incredibly loud, obnoxious, annoying noise, and it is a car outside, we called it, we called it the boat, it was this Buick that our friend drove, and it was the loudest vehicle I've ever heard, I mean, it felt like NASCAR was going on outside, the, I mean, I don't, the muffler, I don't know, I don't know much about cars, but it didn't work, like, it was a loud car, and it was annoying, because, like, everybody knew when they were driving around campus, everybody knew whose car it was, and the whole thing, and so, I can remember being around with a, in my room with a roommate and friends, and uh, we're all going to go work in a church or for a ministry one day, so I have future ministry leaders sitting in my room, and we're like, what are we going to do about this problem? What are we going to do about this issue? This car is loud. It's obnoxious. And so we're thinking, we're thinking, and we come up with a plan. I said, okay, uh, we're going to steal it. So... (laughs) You know, we decide, we're going we're gonna to, Grand Theft Auto is the right move here. So we decide we're going to steal this car. And so we, we developed this plan. And, and if you've ever been on Johnson University's campus, you can go out into the parking lot of the boys' dorm. And if you look, you can see, here's the soccer field, uh, baseball field, athletic complex. Uh, but right up here to the left, sort of in the distance, uh, is this big hill. Uh, and there's no reason to look at this hill. There's like a shed up there or something. There's, there's nothing really up there, but you can see it from the parking lot. And we said, all right, that's the place. We want to take his car and hide it up there. And so our plan gets into action. We go upstairs to his room. Uh, I strike up a conversation with him while a couple of my roommates kind of wander in and uh, sneakily grab the keys, uh, walk back down. And we go and we take his car, we move it up to the top of the hill. And we are like, this is the funniest thing that we've ever been a part of. Like this is, I can't, we just stole somebody's car and moved it up to the, the, if you go out to the parking lot and your car isn't there, I might be, look to me a little bit, because this is, it, it, was, it was hilarious. And so we, we come back, and we put his keys back, so he's got no idea that his car moved. And so we walk downstairs, and we said, we should keep doing this. 
Like, this is, this is funny. I think everybody will love if we keep doing this. And so we go back downstairs and we say, let's steal more people's cars. And so let's, let's see what we can do here. And we go and we, it's all of our friends, but we, we, we go and we do the same process over again, steal the key, move the car. We have like five or six cars up on top of this hill just looking down at the parking lot. And so we come back and we're like, maybe we could get more. But we, we, we get back and uh, I remember at this point, uh, one of the people whose car we stole was out in the parking lot. And we go up and he's like, I, I can't find my car anywhere. Has anybody seen? Like, and we're like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe you left it somewhere. You didn't, like you parked it somewhere, forgot about it. Like, we'll help you look though. Uh, and so we get people out there to help us look and we get people who we've took their car as well. And so it's all of us like looking for cars and the people who knew about it were, were laughing because we're standing in the parking lot and we can see all of their cars just standing there looking at us. And they're looking for, the, they cannot find it. Uh, and soon the people that are looking who we took their cars as well, they're like, wait a second, where's my car? And so while all this is going on, whenever you pull a prank, there's like a line. Uh, and you don't want to go over that because then it starts to like hurt people. Uh, and we were, we were getting real close to it because people are like, somebody stole my car. And so at this point, I go back inside and, and I bump into our RD, our resident director. Uh, and something you should know is at this time, I was an RA, a resident assistant. Uh, and if you don't know what a resident assistant does, basically they're in charge of a hall of like a bunch of rooms and a hall of a bunch of guys and they're supposed to make sure that uh, nothing irresponsible or bad happens. And so I, you know, he knows me, I've known him for a while. And so we're talking, he goes, have you heard of people's like cars getting stolen? And in that moment, I, you know, I'm thinking, what would Jesus do in this situation? And I stand there and I'm like, isn't that crazy? Like, can you, be, can you believe that that's going, like, I, I will not stand for that. I will, I, I will we are going to bring these people to justice. And so I go back outside and I tell all of our friends, I said, we need to get these cars back. <laughs> we need to get these cars back right now. And so we go and we kind of undo the process and we start, uh, some of the roommates were involved and so they knew and so they helped us. We brought the cars back down uh, and it was this whole thing but people we did get caught people saw us when they're like that's my car you're you're driving my car right now and so they they saw us bring their car and it was all in good fun uh, we had a very, we had a good laugh about it uh, but that group of people that I was with doing this we were kind of troublemakers in that sense we would do stuff like this often Recently, we've been in a series, and we've been talking about the book of Acts, and, and the book of Acts is full of people who are causing trouble. They are, they are troublemakers. And I want to give you a little bit more background on where we are in Acts, because I think it's such a cool book. And, and I want you to read along with us, because it's, it's so interesting, and there's so many things that happen that are so crucial. Uh, we, we've heard about the start of the church, and we've heard about Pentecost. We've heard about the church exploding out. Uh, we've heard about it dealing with struggles, but today we're going to talk about it uh, expanding out and what that looks like. Uh, but, but in Acts, we see, uh, we see a world that is, there's a lot of diversity. It's these cities around the Mediterranean Sea uh, that are very diverse. There's different religions, different ethnicities, different cultures throughout these cities. And so at this time, you have uh, all of these cultures, these religions, and you have these, your Christians and your Jews as well. Uh, if you were to bump into a stranger, 
uh, odds are they would be polytheistic. They would believe in multiple gods. That's kind of what made sense to people at that time. If you were to walk, uh, go to Walmart here in Spring Hill, if you bumped into somebody, it would normally be a safe bet to believe maybe they, they probably believe in, in one god. But that's not the case here. It, it's completely different. Everybody believed in multiple gods. And so... The Christians and the Jews are kind of singled out in that sense. And the Jews don't like the Christians very much at this time uh, because it's seen that they are uh, blaspheming rebels. And so there is uh, multiple leaders who are doing things to persecute the Christians and do different things uh, against the Christians. But one leader who is particularly efficient uh, and ambitious and very good at what he does is Saul of Tarsus. And so Saul is, he is persecuting Christians, he's going after them, he's hunting them down, uh, he's killing them, putting them in prison, doing all these things. Uh, but if you look at it through Saul's eyes, I mean, in the history of Israel, there have been many times where the Israelites have turned from God, turned to false gods. And so Saul is doing his best uh, to snuff out any hint of rebellion. He wants his people to stay on track, and he, he views Christianity as something that will stop that. And so he's going to continue this in Damascus. He's, he's on this road to go to this city uh, to keep doing this, to keep persecuting Christians. Uh, but as he's on the way, this blinding light stops him, and that blinding light is Jesus. And Jesus commissions him to preach the gospel. He says, why are you doing this to my people? And so he commissions him uh, to, to preach the gospel, the word, the good news. And uh, this is an cr- insane curveball. I mean, uh, he was Saul, and his name we see changes uh, in Scripture to Paul. And it's this, like, it is a complete flip. And so this character that we see, Paul, is going to travel from city to city, and he's doing, uh, he's doing exactly what Jesus commissioned him to do. Uh, it, it's, it's what the rest of Acts is really about. It's about these journeys, these adventures uh, that Paul goes on. Now, I want to give you, I realize we haven't talked a ton about Paul, so I want to give you more background on him as well. Uh, it's believed that Paul went on a three to four uh, missionary journeys. Uh, and these aren't one-week mission trips. These are journeys. I mean, uh, it's estimated that he had an effect on 59 different cities, approximately. Uh, he's probably started around 14 uh, different churches. I mean, he's doing a lot. Uh, he's, it's estimated that he walked uh, at least 10,000 miles on foot. Uh, which is an insane amount, like, that's an insane distance to walk on foot. And so I did a little bit of, of, of math to kind of show you that. Uh, I am a huge Tennessee fan. It's part of my, uh, it's really like my main personality trait. Uh, I tell everybody how much I love them. Uh, but if I were to go watch a game in, in Knoxville, if I said I will do anything to go watch them play, uh, I will even walk to their games. I could walk, if I were to walk 10,000 miles, I could go see 31 games. If I walked there and back, I could go 31 times, make 31 trips to go see those games. If you were a Michigan fan, you could go up to Michigan to Ann Arbor nine different times. If you, for some reason, thought that Disney World was not good enough and Disneyland was better, you would be wrong. But then you would also, if you wanted to go make that trip, if you wanted to go make that trip to California to go to, go to Disneyland, uh, you could go three different times, there and back. It's an insane distance. Uh, And it's one that none of us would travel for those things. Uh, But Paul travels that distance from city to city uh, preaching this this word, this gospel, this good news. Uh, And so he starts out in in his home base of Antioch. It's it's this city. And and that's where he goes out from. Um, But I want you to keep this in mind. Whenever we're talking about Paul and what he's doing in cities, there's this general flow that he follows. 
See, so Paul, he, he gets to a new city. Paul arrives at a city. He's there at the city. And when he gets there, uh, he goes and he will go to where he's comfortable. He goes to the Jewish synagogue. And he will preach and he will teach there. Uh, and he will do this and he'll do it fairly well because a lot of people will, will believe him. Uh, but once, uh, after a little bit of time, they get angry with him and they kick him out. Uh, and so he'll go and then he'll go to the city marketplace. And Paul has this awesome side hustle. He's a tent maker. So he'll go to the city marketplace and he will make tents and sell them to cover his travel expenses. Uh, But while he's doing this, while he's working, he is still preaching the gospel, telling the good news, telling about this new king, Jesus. Uh, And he does that while he's there in the marketplace. Uh, But eventually, a mob will form up against him and people will be so angry uh, that they will run him out of the city. And so he will leave the city and go do it just at another city and another city. He'll do it over and over again. Now, you might say, why is this so, like, what's so controversial about, like, like, you might not agree with it, but why are people so mad about this all the time? Well, remember how I say, in that time, pretty much everybody was polytheistic. They believed in a lot of gods. And so, if you had a problem with anything, you would pray to that god. If uh, fertility, agriculture, uh, somebody to keep you safe, that you would go to the little g god for that. Uh, Now, when... Paul arrives, he brings this message, and he says that my God is bigger than all of these other gods, so much so that uh, it's not just that there's another God. It's not like, oh, you can worship my God as well. No, you can't worship any other God except for my God. And that's controversial in itself. But what I think is interesting is the emperor of Rome is given the title, and he has a title, uh, Lord or or Son of God. He was believed to be a son of God or uh, a god. And so when Paul comes and he says, no, that's not true. Jesus is the son of God. He is the king. He is the Lord. Uh, Then it causes a problem. It's it's, it's treason, it seems. And so everybody gets up into arms. And so uh, the Romans are mad. The Jews are mad. uh, And it's this this big issue. Paul is putting himself at risk anywhere he goes. When when he's he's taking this message places, uh, he's in danger. And it's... The rest of Acts is, is talking about all of these adventures he goes on. But I want to focus into where we are today. It's in Acts chapter 17. Uh, see, Paul is planting churches, and, and he plants one uh, in Thessalonica. And, and he writes letters to these. We see it in the Bible in First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, but in Acts chapter 17, in the first five verses, uh, it, it's, it's talking about uh, this church and his interaction. And it's classic Paul. I mean, he goes, uh, into the, he goes to get to the city, goes to the synagogue, he's preaching, he's teaching. It says that he uh, tells them, that he explains it, and then he persuades them. Uh, and evidently, he does a good job. I mean, many people uh, believe after that. Um, but then a mo- they start to get mad, and a mob forms. And I want to focus here on verses 6 and 7. It says this, uh, and again, in the ESV, it says, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some brothers uh, before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. We love the way that it is described here. See, Paul and his ministry co-worker, they're staying in the city, they're staying with this man, Jason. And if you read in verse 8, they persecute Jason, they take his money, they drag him out into the street. And, uh, I mean, it's really unfortunate because they're looking uh, for Paul. Um, But they ask, where are they? Where are these people? Where is Paul? 
And the, the, NL, the NLT says, where are the ones uh, who have caused trouble over, all over the world? Where are the ones who have caused trouble all over the world? Where are the ones who have turned the world upside down? They're looking for these Christian leaders. Where are the ones who are acting against the decree of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus? And little did they know uh, at the time, but this was an incredible compliment to the Christian movement. I mean, uh, the, the movement was, it was, it was working. I mean, uh, they, the phrase upside down, it means revolt. It means uh, agitate. It means troublemake. They are, they are stirring up the pot. It's, it's a compliment to Christianity because it means things are being radically impacted by them. They are, they are doing a good job. They're changing things. And so the kingdom of God in this is trying to break through, trying to turn the world back to the way that it was originally created to be. And so as we, as, as we look at this, uh, we, we can see Christians and Christian leaders, they're all doing this. And uh, they, go, they get sent away from this moment, and they go and they do it in another city, and another city, and they're turning the world upside down. It's this grand redemptive story that's in the entire Bible, and they are, and they are preaching it, and they are doing a good job of it. Now, I think there are a few things uh, that we can look at when it comes to the Christian faith that are upside down. Really, I think the whole uh, movement is upside down. But from the very beginning, starting with Jesus, uh, things don't seem, they seem weird. It seems not quite right when we look at it from a worldly, from a human eye. And this is something, uh, during Christmas time, I talked about with, uh, with, with, with our students. I, I was describing the birth narrative in Jesus' life. I said, this seems upside down. See, Jesus came to the earth, and he was this, uh, supposed to be Messiah. He was the Messiah. He was supposed to be this grand military ruler who was come, going to come and, and abolish all evil, uh, which evil at that time was seen as the Romans. He was going to come, and he was going to liberate. It was going to be this big thing, and he was going to be this strong king. Uh, but he's born in a cave surrounded by animals, which doesn't seem like the way you'd think a king would be born. His family was very, very poor. Not like a king. His, his, his family was poor and they had no place to stay. In fact, throughout his life, he had no place to rest his head, which if you're a king, you usually have a spot. It's, it's crazy as we look at his life. The first people to visit Jesus are these blue-collar uh, shepherds. They probably smelled bad. I mean, they, this wasn't uh, some glamorous thing. It's, it, the more you look at his life, his birth, uh, you can see this. But it continues. I mean, uh, he grows up, he's a rabbi. And he, I mean, he's calling his disciples, and there are some, uh, the candidates he chooses are not the ones that you would think a rabbi would choose. I mean, these are regular people working regular jobs, teenagers even, uh, who don't seem uh, that they, like they are the brightest. I mean, there are so many other candidates who are just more intelligent, have more training, but he picked the ones that he did. Not only that, he picked a tax collector and a zealot, two different types of people who were complete opposite on the political spectrum, and they worked together with Jesus. It's crazy. I mean, the people he hung out with, the people that he was around, he he was with poor people, prostitutes, Samaritans, Samaritans being people that Jews would very much avoid. They would go great lengths to avoid uh, being around them, but he was there with them. He cared for women, children, widows, the people who were forgotten. He did all these things. He ate even with religious officials, people who we see, those are Jesus' enemies, but he ate with them still. The more you look at it, everything is upside down. His, his teachings, uh, turn the other cheek, give to those in need, take Sabbath, uh, forgive sin, all of this doesn't seem right if we think about what the world is actually like. And as we get to this 
this Easter season, we can see even in, even in his death. I mean, he was a king who died naked on a criminal's cross. And uh, he, was, he wore a crown when he died, but it wasn't the crown that a king would wear. It was a crown of thorns. It's this beautiful picture of Jesus' whole life being upside down. See, it's, it's everywhere. Paul's life is flipped upside down. He goes from, from torturing Christians to saving them. He, went, uh, he was hunting Christians, and now he's preaching the good news. He was persecuting, and now he's persecuted. And he was Saul, and now he's, he's Paul. It's, Jesus transformed him uh, through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that we learned about a few weeks ago has transformed Paul and turned his life upside down. See, Paul followed the king who, was turned, who, who turned the world upside down. He himself was turned upside down, and from that he lived upside down. And so this whole concept, it raises a few questions for me, and questions that I want to ask you, and I want you to uh, kind of look at yourself to help me answer these. And my first is, how has your world been turned upside down? What has the Holy Spirit done in your life? What has been turned upside down? Because I think this whole movement is very, it's, it's very upside down. I mean, from the beginning, Christians are worshiping together. They're living sacrificially. They're giving to the poor. They love one another. It's weird when you look in history. Imagine the first Christians. I mean, they're eating and drinking uh, the, the body and the blood of Christ. And people thought that they were cannibals for doing that. They, they call their husbands and wives brothers and sisters in Christ. It, see, Christ. it seems completely weird. It seems upside down. But we see plenty of characters in the Bible who their, li- their lives are dramatically turned upside down, not just Paul's. I mean, the disciples of Jesus are a great example. Matthew 4, 18 through 20 says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. Uh, they, were, uh, they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. These were normal, everyday people. and They dropped everything to follow him. Their lives were completely flipped upside down, all because they followed Jesus. You know, going to Bible college, I hear a lot of testimonies that are awesome. There are these crazy stories of faith, crazy stories of the Holy Spirit doing great work. And I'm sure many of you have stories that are similar, no stories that are similar. Um, But when I look in my own life and I look at uh, the events that have taken place uh, just in my life through through college, through high school, through, through now here... Uh, I see many moments of, of my life being turned upside down uh, just in the small things. I see little moments that still continue to this day, every day of my life being turned upside down, my life being altered back to the kingdom. And they might seem simple, they might seem like nothing, but I assure you they're very uh, important in my life. And I can think of these uh, growing up, but I can think of them here as well. I think a, a lot about some of these uh, Im- deep and important conversations I've had with, with many of you, with, with many of your, of your kids or students even. Uh, I think of uh, great times that I've spent. I think of breakfasts that I've gone to with people. I think of meals that I've shared. I think of uh, Waffle House trips that I've gone to. I think of rounds of golf uh, that I've played. These are, are impactful moments in my life that, that give me this glimpse, and the Spirit is turning uh, my life upside down because of these interactions and because of you all. And I think it's incredible. 
You know, when I was here uh, during Christmas, I, I was a resident, and uh, I had multiple families call to make sure I would not be alone or by myself on Christmas. Multiple people who wanted to make sure that on Christmas Eve I could go have dinner with a family and I wouldn't be all by myself. And I, I want to be very honest, when I accepted the position here, uh, that was at the forefront of my mind. Just the, the love that you all have showed me uh, and, and the care that you all have given me, and it has warmed my heart. And that's something that I believe is so incredible about this Christian community, this Christian movement. Now, I want to make sure if you have not have your life turned upside down by the Holy Spirit, I want to offer an invitation to do that today. Uh, I've said, I think it's the best decision you'll ever make, but that's not true. I know it's the best decision you'll ever make. Because when your life is turned upside down by the Holy Spirit, everything dramatically changes, and it's, and it's awesome. And so I would love to have that conversation with you uh, out in the lobby. You can catch one of us. Uh, we will be out there. Brief conversation, coffee, whatever it is. We would love to talk more about that. But we know that the Holy Spirit turns our lives upside down, but what does it mean to live like that? What does it mean to live upside down is my next question. I mean, Again, Paul, Jesus, the disciples, uh, they all kind of lived upside down. 1 Corinthians 4.10, Paul is talking about what true apostleship looks like. And he says that they are fools for Christ, which I think is an awesome verse. They are fools for Christ. He describes them as weak and dishonored. How does that compare to us today? You know, I, I look at the lives and I look at the things they did and I say, what are the things that they did that we can take and we can do today? And I think the first thing is uh, they, they took the gospel all over the world. They, they took it out into the world. I mean, we see, we see Paul going all over the world, but we see him going into the city marketplace. We see him in the synagogue and we see Jesus doing the same thing as taking it out into the world. And that's the model that has been set uh, for us. And uh, it's might not be taking it all over the world for us, but taking it to uh, our known world. If we look at Paul and all of his travels, he's going over a lot of the world that he knows exists. And I think we can do a similar thing. Whether that is your job, whether that's your neighborhood, your school, your gym, your community in general, wherever it is, I think we can take the gospel out into the world. Because the message of the Spirit turning lives upside down, uh, it's, it can do, and it can do the same in you. It should not be kept still. It should not be kept within these walls. It needs to go out. Next, I think uh, we need to have real relationships like the disciples had. Paul, uh, he had ministry partners like Silas, uh, Barnabas, Timothy. Timothy, whom he refers to as, as, a, as a son often. Uh, but he also loved the people that he ministered to. We see in all of his letters that he loves and he thanks uh, uh, the people that he's ministering to. But, but in verse, or chapter 1, verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians, which is the, the church that we've just encountered, uh, he says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love that you all have for one another is increasing. He did this often. I mean, every time he writes a letter to somebody, he's talking about how much he loves them. He names people off by name, and he's talking about how much he misses them and cares for them. And Jesus does the same thing. Uh, he has his 12. He has his friends, uh, Lazarus, Mary Magdalene. We see uh, that when Lazarus dies, it, the verse, Jesus wept. It's because he's sad uh, for his friend. It's, uh, it's, they had these deep, real relationships, and I believe that we can have those relationships as well. And maybe this looks like getting to know the people around you better. Maybe it looks like getting to know your coworkers 
better, the people at your job, at your schools. Maybe it's, maybe it's getting to know uh, your kids, friends, families a little bit better. I think these are all great opportunities to have real relationships with the people around us. So the disciples, uh, they took the gospel into the world. They had real relationships. But lastly, uh, I think they took risks. And that's something we've talked about as a church. Um, I think anytime you are a church plant and you start a church, that's a pretty big risk. And it's something that we don't want to lose here because uh, in this time, being a Christian or a follower of Christ was a big risk. I mean, you could uh, die really at at any time from persecution or or by people hunting you down. And so it was a huge risk back then. We see later on in Acts, uh, Acts 20, there is this famine, a disaster in Jerusalem. And so Paul is collecting money from other churches to to bring as relief. He's he's bringing that to the church in Jerusalem uh, to help them out there. And so people are giving in that. And Acts 20, 22 says, uh, And I now, compelled by the Spirit... I am now going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Verse 38, it's the Ephesians, and they're upset, and they say, what grieved them most was a statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to his ship. See, Paul is going to Jerusalem, and he does not know what's going to happen to him there because there's a lot of people that want Paul dead that are living in Jerusalem. There's a lot, it's, he doesn't think he'll see anybody's face again because he thinks he's going to die in Jerusalem. And it's this, it's this big risk that he's taking. And, uh, he, but he goes there anyway, and he goes there because he believes in the mission. He believes in this gospel. Now, the Bible is full of stories of people taking risk after risk, and God, uh, and God is delivering on those risks. And so if we're going to live upside down, I believe we need to take risks as well. And risks, I mean, uh, they're something that can, can fuel you up a little bit. I mean, they get your, they get your heart beating a little bit. Uh, and maybe today that looks, something as, looks like something as simple as inviting another family uh, here, inviting someone who, who doesn't go to church, uh, inviting them to Easter even. I mean, it's, it's in the talk right now. I mean, Easter's coming up, and that's not uncommon. Uh, and that might not seem like a risk, but I know it, it really can be. Maybe a risk looks like for you is just stepping outside your comfort zone a little bit. Maybe you've never volunteered before, and it's, it seems a little out of your comfort zone, a little risky, but I assure you, it is a great thing, and it's a great risk to take. Maybe, maybe it's simply coming to things, coming to different events we have, different programming. It seems like a risk, but I assure you, it's, it'll be incredible when it happens. You know, I think, of, I think of our families, and I think there can be risk involved with families. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a conversation with a husband or a wife that you want more involved here. Maybe it's a conversation with, with, with our kids, with our children, and we want them more involved in our programming here, our students as well. Maybe it's a conversation with a mom or with a dad who you want more involved here. These seem like risks. These seem like very hard conversations, uh, but I assure you it's worth it. And, uh, It's a great way to take responsibility uh, in church, and it's something that we want to do as a church, is take risks. So when you're a follower of Jesus and your lives are turned upside down, we're called to live as such. We're called to go out into the world. We're called to have real relationships, and we are called to take risks. So what is that? What... How can we help turn the world upside down? Like, like if, we, if we know our lives have been turned upside down and we're supposed to live upside down, how are we then further going to turn the rest of the world upside down? Well, it's important to look uh, at the church today. I think there are times when the church has done this very well. I think there are times uh, when the church has struggled with this. Um, but if I look in our own community, uh, I look to things like the well. 
The well is, is, is a food pantry that just, it's just down the road. Uh, most of you know what it is. But uh, they provide, look at the numbers from last year. They fed uh, 7,727 families through its food pantry. Uh, they, they fed uh, 2,925 families through its mobile food pantry. Uh, and, it was, and it provided 175,000 meals through its jetpack program. Uh, and many of you all were a part of that. We hosted many of that here, and the well was started here by Christians who saw that need and did it. It's this incredible story. See, these, these Christians, they, they were, their lives were turned upside down by the Spirit. They formed real, crucial, critical relationships with people in the community, and they saw the need there, and then they went and they took big risks, and now they are turning the community upside down, and these numbers show that. It's, it's a crazy thing. You don't need to have this grand plan. And what I love about the well is it's just right down the road. Like it's across the street from the fainting goat. We all know where it is. It's not this huge corporation all across the country. This is people doing this in our own community. And I think many of us know Christians who don't have the same effect. Many of us know Christians uh, where there has been a a moral failure, where there has been... uh, the, a, a church has not been led well, or a Christian leader has, has messed up and caused a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, uh, and uh, there is church hurt out there, and uh, that's, that's, that's a horrible, horrible thing. And It's evident that the, in those instances, Christians are not living upside down. Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, I think one of the best ways that we can help turn the world upside down is by living upside down. When people see us living differently than everyone else, then it is one of our best ways we can witness. And, and in a time where there is church hurt and when there are bad things that happen, it is more needed now than ever that we live upside down. I think taking risks is important. I think living upside down is important. There are so many things that the world does to trick us. So many things that the world will tell us, that, that will try to convince us of, uh, that will hurt us. And I think all of us will agree uh, that the world can be a very scary, dangerous, and hurtful place. Uh, the, world can, the world can convince us that it's right side up, that uh, Christianity is, is the one that isn't, isn't correct, that it's, it's the way that the world is, is the way you're supposed to go. You're supposed to chase money, chase success, chase power. Uh, that's just what people do, and that's, that's okay. Uh, Nobody else knows that I struggle with this. It won't, it won't hurt anybody. Uh, that struggle you've always had, it, it's, it's fine. Just keep sweeping it under the rug. It won't come up as long as you keep it a secret. It, it, it tells us different things. We can live one way during the week and one way on Sunday, and that's fine. It tells us that our lives would be better if we put our hope in this security, in this relationship, in this money, in this job. It tells us that these are the things that we should put our hope in. We should put our hope in ourselves. We can get out of the hole we're in. Everything will be fine. Let us take care of it. But the world is a really, really scary and hurtful and hard place. The upside-down kingdom of God, it... it it brings, it brings fruit. It brings love. It brings joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when the Spirit is in us, this is the fruit that shows. And to me, that sounds so much better uh, than the world that we live in. See, Paul followed the king who turned the world upside down. He, he himself was then turned upside down, and from then, he lived upside down. 
Well, friends, we follow a king that turned the world upside down. And, we can, and when, we, we, when we commit to following him, our lives are then turned upside down. And from that, uh, there is a call to live upside down. And I want us to take that and I want us to go and not just leave it here, but to go help turn the world upside down as well. But I want to extend, again, if you have not made a decision, if you have not let the Holy Spirit turn your world upside down, I want to encourage you today to do that because it will be uh, the best decision you ever make in that. And it, it is such an incredible thing, and it's an awesome thing, and I want you to be a part of it. I want you to see uh, what God can do in your life uh, by making that decision today. Please find us. Please talk to us. A brief conversation, coffee, lunch, whatever it is, we want to have that conversation with you because we believe it is so important. But I want to leave you with a challenge. Uh, the kingdom of God, it turns the world upside down. And so I, I believe there's this challenge uh, to change, to do things. Uh, there are many times when the, the church has not been upside down, and uh, we don't want to be a church like that. We've seen that and the damage that it causes. And so uh, I, I want to be a, a part of a place, part of a community that is actively doing things to turn this world upside down. So I want to challenge you to live differently. I want to challenge you to take a risk. Whether that's going out there and volunteering. Maybe you've never volunteered before and it's something you're not comfortable with, but I want to challenge you to take that risk and just see what God does with it. I want to challenge you to take a risk, to have that hard conversation with somebody that you've been waiting for. Uh, God, I want, you, I, I, I want you to do these things. I want you to take a risk. I want you to invite people to church. I want you to talk to them, have real relationships, go out into the world. I think there's so much benefit in that and say, God is so good and he will do so many great things through us. It's my prayer today that we're willing to take these risks because we we look back thousands of years ago and there was somebody who walked 10,000 miles on foot everywhere to tell this message. Uh, And I pray that we can have that same energy, that same, that we are willing to do uh, similar things, to go take risks and and to tell this great story about this new King Jesus who's turning the world upside down. And it's my prayer that that affects you and your lives are turned upside down as well. It's so good, it's so important, uh, but it's also, it's what we're called to do. Allow me to pray for you. Dear God, I pray that uh, we can get this call to turn the world upside down. I pray that uh, we can realize all that you've done in our life and I pray that you can uh, do that in other people's lives and you can uh, bring that, I pray that we can bring that, that same uh, energy, that we can uh, go out into the world and help turn this world upside down, back to what uh, you created, created it to be. God, I thank you for a time that we can gather together uh, and listen to your word uh, and to hear your word and to worship you I want to thank you for everything that you've done. And I thank you that your kingdom is so upside down because living in the world, the world is hard. It's a scary place. Um, But God, we're thankful that your kingdom isn't. God, I pray that we can never forget that and that we can follow you with all of our heart. It's in your name I pray. Amen.